We turn in God's inspired word this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and possessest it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall put it in a basket, and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days, and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, A Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation, great and mighty and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the firstfruits of the land, which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee, and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. When thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase, the third year, which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled, then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, and also have given them unto the Levite and unto the stranger, to the fatherless and to the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use, nor given aught thereof for the dead." But I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that thou hast commanded me. Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the land which thou hast given us as thou swearest unto our fathers, a land that floweth with milk and honey. 
This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee, and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in praise, and in name, and in honor, and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. The text to which I call your attention this morning is Deuteronomy 26, verses 10 and 11. And now, behold, I have brought the firstfruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. Beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, we gather today for a national day of thanksgiving. And we, of all people, have reason to be thankful. But as Christians, we gather historically not just because our country has called for a day of thanksgiving to be observed every year, but because God calls us to be a thankful people, acknowledging him as the giver of every good and perfect gift, the God of our salvation for Jesus' sake. Every blessing that we enjoy comes from our Savior, to whom has been given all things. And therefore, we may rejoice in every good thing. That's also the text that we consider this morning. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing. But we might notice that Deuteronomy 26, verses 10 and 11, which text we consider this morning, is a text that belongs to the Old Testament ceremonial law the laws pertaining to the Old Testament worship of the Old Testament church. Specifically, this, this law has to do with the tithe. The tithes that were required of the children of Israel. Moses gave commandment that as they come with the offering of their tithes, they must come with a confession. And that begins in verse 5. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, and part of what they must say and speak before the Lord Jehovah God is what we take as our text this morning. And now, behold, I have brought the firstfruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. Those were to be the concluding words of their confession. 
And then Moses told them what they must do with those first fruits that they have brought to the Lord. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. Now, you might well question why we are going to the Old Testament law, the law concerning the tithes, for our text on Thanksgiving Day. After all, we believe that Christ abolished the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws being their fulfillment. Those laws which according to Galatians 3 verse 24 were the schoolmaster to lead God's people to Christ are now set aside, abolished. And that's a confessional matter to us who are reformed churches. Article 25 of our Belgian Confession speaks of the abolishing of the ceremonial law. There we confess... We believe that the ceremonies and figures of the law ceased at the coming of Christ and that all the shadows are accomplished so that the use of them must be abolished amongst Christians. But now what is written next in the confession is important. Yet the truth and substance of them remain with us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have their completion. There is a truth and substance to the Old Testament laws that we must see. And that truth and substance is found in the fact that Jesus Christ came to bring deliverance of which Israel's deliverance was only a picture, a type. He who was rich became poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. And in that knowledge, we consider the words of this text under the theme, rejoicing in every good thing. The text reveals that this rejoicing in every good thing is an act of worship, first of all. Secondly, it has a wonderful basis. And thirdly, is an expression of thankfulness. Rejoicing in every good thing, an act of worship. It has a wonderful basis and is an expression of thankfulness. Rejoicing in every good thing is an act of worship. That's very clear from what we read in the last part of verse 10. And thou shalt set it, that is the first fruits, before the Lord thy God, and worship before the Lord thy God. That indicates that our approach to God as we bring our offerings to him and rejoice in every good thing is an approach in which we worship him. In other words, true to the teachings of Scripture throughout, 
God doesn't look merely for outward appearance. He doesn't look merely for outward acts of obedience in bringing to him our offerings and rejoicing this day in every good thing, but he would have our attitude, one of worship. The attitude of our hearts must be right as we approach him. He would have us humble ourselves before him, acknowledging that he alone is the giver of every good and perfect gift and the God of our salvation. We are entirely dependent upon him. We may rejoice in the fruits of our labors. According to verse 11, it's expected of us. We may celebrate the fruits, the bounties of the harvest if we are farmers. We may rejoice in the ability to buy our food, our groceries, and to provide for our families their clothing and shelter. We are to rejoice in whatever measure of health God has given us because he reminds us repeatedly that our health is not something we should take for granted. We are to rejoice in the work that he gives us, the opportunities we have to provide for our households and for the causes of his kingdom. And even when we are in a situation of not particularly enjoying our jobs, because that can be the case sometimes, we are to rejoice in the ability to work and the opportunity we have at present, knowing the blessedness of work as that unto which God created man and that for his own glory and for man's well-being. We are to rejoice in the relationships God has given us whether of family or of friends. We rejoice in the church's children and the fact that God continues to gather his church from believers and their children in the lines of continued generations. We are to rejoice that we may be numbered among the children of Israel, that is the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might belong to a church that seeks our spiritual good. We are to rejoice for faithful preaching and catechism instruction, for faithful office bearers who truly watch for our souls as they that must give account, Hebrews 13, verse 17. We are to rejoice for the provision of our Christian schools and for faithful teachers. We are to rejoice that God has given us so many who contribute in various ways to the strength of our school, our board members, but also all the support staff of the school, paid and volunteer. We are to rejoice in the privilege that God has given us to provide for our brothers and sisters in time of need. We are to rejoice for times of respite when we might enjoy God's glorious creation, whether it be in our own yards or in our travels. And I trust you realize I only mention a sampling 
of, of the bounties, the good, what is referred to as every good that God has provided unto us. Moreover, we don't rejoice from a self-centered point of view, not if we follow the teachings of this text, for Deuteronomy 26, verse 11 says, And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord hath given unto thee, and, don't overlook that, and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. You see, God's, God's good gifts are bountiful. And even when I do not partake of a particular gift that my neighbor had, might enjoy, I'm called to take into account the bountiful provisions of God in giving to every man according as it pleases him those gifts. I am to rejoice in the good that God gives my neighbor. He gives different gifts within our households to our spouses and to our children. He provides for the ministry of the gospel, represented in the text by the Levites. He gives different gifts to strangers, the stranger that is among you, and thou shalt rejoice. That's the calling set before us in verse 11. But in addition, in the light of verse 10 and verses 12 and following, that rejoicing in every good gift also involves those good gifts for the welfare of the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And this is a reminder of the special place that God has given some in his kingdom. To the Levites, who labored on behalf of God's people and who did not have their own inheritance or income in Israel, God gave command that his people provide for their needs. But God also showed a special care for the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. So he commanded his people to give to the needy. And again, there's a principle of the law that remains today. Namely, that we are to show a special care toward those whom God has led into difficult circumstances. We do that not necessarily with monetary provision, although at times that might be necessary, but we do so with our friendship and with other demonstrations of love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ in their needs. And so we read in verses 12 and 13, when thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and has given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled, then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, 
and also have given them unto the Levite and unto the stranger, to the fatherless and to the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. But with all these earthly blessings and the calling to rejoice in them, there was also a warning that loomed over the children of Israel. Moses had proclaimed the word of the Lord to them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Once again, there is a principle of this Old Testament law that remains and applies just as pointedly to us today. When we are given much, we often fail to re remember the source of those gifts. When we work hard, we begin to think that we have acquired our money, our vehicles, our houses, our toys, by our own labor and by the exercise of our own abilities. The inclination of our self-centered thinking is always present with us. It's very easy for us, especially in prosperity, to forget about God. And so the writer to the Proverbs says in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food convenient for me lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain, lest I be full and deny thee. That's the inclination of our proud, sinful hearts. The inclination of our sinful flesh is to put such a focus on earthly things and earthly riches on our jobs and the money we obtain by means of our work, the toys we purchase, the pleasures we pursue, that we forget him who owns all things and who alone is our provider and in whom alone is our joy. For that reason, we are reminded that our rejoicing is to be an act of worship. A rejoicing for God, in God, for who he is and what he has done for us. 
also in providing every good thing. For that reason, the children of Israel were instructed to come with the first fruits as an offering unto the Lord. They were to do so as an act of worship, a bowing the knee before Jehovah God. That's to acknowledge that everything we have received has come from God. Everything comes from him. And moreover, it comes to us undeserved. The prosperity that God has given us is mind-boggling. If you compare our lifestyle today with any time in history, you will have to confess that God has prospered us materially like no other people in history. Which is to say, he has entrusted to us much. And with that much comes great responsibility. As the three stewards to whom Jesus referred in the parable of Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30, we are put to the test with the things God places in our possession to use all things to God's glory. We have been given much. Most of us have houses, food in abundance, a multitude of electronic servants, money in the bank, cars and trucks, investment accounts, not to mention the measure of health we enjoy, and so on. And, and all has been entrusted to us from God, who alone is the owner of all things, that God has given us all these good gifts. is not to say that God's grace is in things, the wicked also often grow rich. In the words of Psalm 73, verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. But for all that, Proverbs 3, verse 33 reminds us that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. God's grace is, is only in and through Jesus Christ. But the fact that we are his people and sinners all means that everything that we have received from him for our good is to be received as a gracious gift, undeserved by us and given us only because God has looked upon us as his own in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our second main point this morning. We must notice from the text that the call to rejoice in every good thing has a wonderful basis. That is especially indicated by the context that precedes the text that we consider and is part of the confession that is brought to conclusion in verse 10. Notice once again verses 5 through 9 of Deuteronomy 26. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish 
was my father, a reference to Abraham spending some 20 years in Paden Aram, where he served Laban and took his two wives and where his children were all born with the exception of Benjamin. And upon leaving, he stared death in the face as he saw Esau coming for him. He also suffered the restrictions of a severe famine so that it appeared that he and his children would all die for lack of food. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became a, a nation, great and mighty and populous. And let's not forget how that occurred. God using the terrible ordeals of Joseph to lead his people into Egypt so that Joseph could later say to his brothers, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Notice that what would appear to us to be terrible circumstances, Circumstances brought about even by the wicked actions of men. God meant it unto good so that using those events, he brought about his purpose in saving his people. Nor was all easy in Egypt because we read now in Deuteronomy 26 verse 6, and the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. Let's pause there and notice that even when the Lord leads us through great affliction and very difficult trials, He's at work. He is at work. He moves us to cry unto him so that we see him as our only deliverance. Even as he was the only deliverance for our fathers and all those who've gone before us. And not only does he move us to cry unto him, but he hears our voice and is observant of our affliction, our labor, our distress, our oppression. This confirms what Job wrote in Job 23, verse 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Why? Because of God's goodness and because he delights in delivering his people. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders, and he hath brought us again into this place and given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. You see, as the children of Israel were called to confess that through all their history, God was good. 
demonstrating his faithfulness to his promise. He was at work saving a people that had shown again and again their unworthiness, their sinfulness. He took them from the house of bondage. The picture of our spiritual bondage to sin and death, and he led them to the promised land, the picture of heaven. And as he continued to provide for them in that land that was only a type, he called them to look as did Abraham for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In the acknowledgement of the wonder of his grace, they were to bring the first fruits of that which God had given them and to worship him, whose name is Jehovah, their God. In that acknowledgement, they were also to rejoice in every good thing which Jehovah had given them. So today... The calling to rejoice in every good thing is a calling that has a wonderful basis in the gracious salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. That we worship before the Lord our God speaks of the fact that we have fellowship with him. You know as well as I that the perfectly holy God cannot have fellowship with sinners. For that fellowship to take place, he had to reconcile us unto himself by removing our sin and guilt. In the Old Testament, that reconciliation could only come by way of the types and shadows set forth in the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, which pointed to the coming of the Messiah and the shedding of his blood for the salvation of his people. But we live in the time of fulfillment. And with our eyes upon Jesus, therefore, we confess in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. It's the gracious work of God, therefore, in Jesus Christ, that he has drawn us into the fellowship of his own life and love, giving us the right to address him as our Father in heaven and bestowing upon us all the good that he has now committed to his only begotten Son, our Lord. So when we consider in this day the call to rejoice in every good thing which God has given us, we're called to put everything into that context of our salvation and of the wonder of God's grace in delivering us from the bondage of sin and death into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
He is the one who, even leading us into the way of difficulties and trials, moves us to cry unto him. He is the one who looks upon our afflictions, who sees our oppression. He hears our voice. And in his faithfulness, he guides us by his counsel. Afterward, to receive us to glory, Psalm 76, verse 24. In our earthly sojourn, he is the one who opens his hands to supply all our needs, who even, in the words of 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, gives us richly all things to enjoy. But when we look at this text and the confession the children of Israel were called to make, namely, and now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me, then we must also be reminded to that which those first fruits pointed. When we are called to bring the first fruits unto God, we are called to acknowledge that he is the one who gave us those first fruits and every good thing. But the New Testament speaks of the first fruits while shining a beautiful light upon the concept. In James 1, verses 17 and 18, we read, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. In other words, he presents us as a kind of first fruits. Then we look to 1 Corinthians 15 and see how this has come about and to what end. And there we read, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. In the Old Testament, the firstfruits spoke of the harvest. So God has promised us another harvest, a beautiful harvest, one that we look forward to with our spiritual eyes, after all, those harvests in the Old Testament were only sporadic. Many years those harvests were destroyed by their enemies or by the blasting heat of God's wrath because the Israelites refused to hear the word of the Lord and to fix their eyes upon the promised Messiah. But the harvest that we look forward to is the final harvest for which God sends his angels and Christ himself calls his own unto himself in the final resurrection from the dead. 
that harvest is certain without fail because Christ himself is the first fruits of that harvest who has already accomplished our salvation and has ascended into heaven to take his place at the right hand of his heavenly father. But we are one with him. By faith, we have been united to Christ, the first fruits. The life that is ours in him is a life in which the full harvest is assured us. And every blessing that we enjoy serves us as we await that final harvest and the spiritual joy and wealth that awaits us in the presence of our Redeemer. Then we understand, too, that rejoicing in every good thing is an expression of thankfulness. We give thanks, even in this day, for the many good things that God has bestowed upon us. We give thanks even through our sorrows because we know by faith that everything is for our good. God works all things to lead us and to provide us along heaven's pathway to glory. But those good things that we enjoy, in which we rejoice, though they are multitudes, in comparison to the spiritual life and blessings that God has given us in delivering us from the bondage of sin and death. Let's not fail to count our blessings, looking to him who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Let us thank God, shall we, with thankful praise for who he is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gracious Father, when we stand before the good thou hast bestowed upon us, Contemplate especially the riches of our salvation and acknowledge that every good thing comes from thee through Jesus Christ our Lord and for our benefit. We praise thy holy name with thanksgiving and desire, Father, that we might be faithful stewards what thou hast entrusted to us, faithful stewards also of the riches of the gospel, and might know thy blessing and rejoice in thee day after day, moment by moment, as we sojourn on that pathway that leads to glory. For Jesus' sake, Amen.